My shirt is untucked this morning. <laughs> How about that? I feel very relaxed up here. Uh, if you're like, why is that the intro to a sermon? They gave me a hard time for tucking in my shirt a few weeks ago, so I'm cool. I'm edgy. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have been in a series called Multiply for the past few weeks because we believe that a core expression of our faith in Jesus is to make disciples, to bring other people into the family of God and to walk alongside of them as they learn how to grow in a relationship with Jesus. We believe that is an expectation on us that we are to be multiplying. Uh, a few weeks ago, with my shirt tucked in, I got the opportunity to introduce this series. And after I preached, I had someone ask me a very good question a couple days later. Um, it, uh, this person who asked this question is a very thoughtful, prayerful, godly, humble person uh, who, who I really appreciate. But they asked me this, and I'll paraphrase it, they said, this whole idea of discipling, if we are not actively discipling somebody, are we kind of, kind of living in sin? Because we're failing to do something Jesus commands us to do. And with that, is it a command that we disciple? What are the consequences if we don't disciple, whether in this life or the next? That was the gist of the question. Are there consequences if we fail to disciple? I really appreciated this question, because, mainly because of the weight this person is putting on this topic. Maybe that question resonates with you, that we get up here and we preach about discipling so hard and so adamantly that maybe a little twinge of anxiety has risen up in your heart, where you look at your life and you go, am I discipling? Um, should I be doing something more, something different? And if I'm not, am I disconnected from God? And if I'm disconnected from God, what are the consequences here? So as she asked me this question, I wrestled with it for a little bit. I didn't have an, an immediate answer, and I, I thought of some different passages and some different scriptures and wrestled with it myself until God, through his word and his Holy Spirit, helped me realize something. While that question is very good and I appreciate it, it's actually the wrong question. We're actually in, the, in a totally wrong arena of conversation if we're asking, well, what are the consequences if I don't do it? And there were two verses that helped me kind of reach that conclusion that we shouldn't even be asking that question, or that that is the wrong question to ask. And I want to give you those two verses today, those two passages today. Two main passages for us to answer these questions. First, her question, are there consequences if we don't disciple? But secondly, a broader question. Why should we want to disciple? That's what I want to tackle this morning. Why should we burn with a desire to disciple someone? Why should we want this? I'll go ahead and give you a preview. We should want to disciple because discipling is an outflow or an overflow of a relationship with Jesus. We'll start there and we'll start working, working it out, okay? First passage that I want to get into 
is in John chapter 14. You can turn there with me if you'd like on your devices or in your Bibles. It'll also be on screen. It's a short little verse that I want to look at today, but let me give you a little bit of context. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. He gathers his disciples together, these 12 guys who get it wrong a lot of time, a lot of times, and he is trying to make sure they really understand it that he's really cast the vision. He's really communicated everything that needs to be communicated to them before he leaves. You would probably be picking your words pretty carefully if this was your last chance, right? Well, of course, all the words of Jesus in the New Testament are of vital importance. But you can imagine this last message, Jesus is really saying the key talking points. And this is what he says in John 14, short, short verse. Our next one will be a little bit longer. Short one here, though. John 14, 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, then do what obviously comes next. Then fulfill this natural reaction. If this, then of course that. It's like Jesus is saying, if you're a lamp, shine light. That's what lamps do. That's what they're designed to be and to do, and that's their main function. If you're this, then go do that. If you're a grill, make some food. Amen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, and let's go ahead and wrap this sermon up so we can get to it. <laughs> if you're a grill, grill some food. If you are a faucet, pour water. If you love me, obey my commands. If this is who you are, then do this. Jesus says, if you have a love in your heart for me, if you have a leaning in your spirit towards me, an allegiance towards me, a desire for me, then do the next natural thing and obey my commands from an overflow of love, out of a reaction of your desire for me. Now, what are his commands? First of all, there is the greatest commandment in Scripture. I'm not going to put that on screen. But there's a moment where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives it to us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your, and your strength, and your soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, the greatest commandment of all is love God and love others. So immediately we see obeying Jesus means there is this vertical and horizontal love. I could make the argument that there is no greater expression of love than introducing someone to their Savior and training them to love and walk with their Savior. But let's go a little bit deeper. In Matthew, there is the great commission. So we just talked about the great commandment. Let's look at the great commission. Let's go ahead and pull that up. Jesus says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. If we love him, we obey his commands. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have taught you, commanded you, sorry, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. And what are his commands? To spread his love, to multiply his kingdom, to bring more people into the family of God so that they may love him and then go obey his commands. So first, as we look at this command of discipling, we realize 
that it is a command that is just expected to be obeyed as a reaction to the love we feel for Jesus, not an avoidance of a consequence. But let's look at a second passage. Ephesians chapter 3. I'll give you a little context here. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was not always called Paul. His name before he was Paul was Saul. And Saul was one of the worst people in human history. I want you to understand this before we get into this passage. Saul was a very bad person. Saul, in the name of God, because he was a zealous Jew, in the name of God, murdered innocent people who believed in Jesus because he saw Jesus as the greatest threat to society. So he murdered innocent people. But not just murder, he also imprisoned innocent people and he tore families apart. I want you to understand something, that when Saul became Paul, it's not like all of his actions were remedied. There were still people in prison. There were generational effects from what Saul did. He is horrible, but you can look at Paul and say, oh, but Paul was the greatest missionary ever. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Don't let him off the hook that easy, church. He was an, a, a horrible person before he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. And Paul always remembered that. Now, with that in mind, let's read our verse in Ephesians. This is Paul speaking. He says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Pause. And that is true, remember. <laughs> that is not false humility. That is not a preacher saying, oh, you know, I'm a sinner too, but if you all could just be more like me, you'd be great. This is Paul truly saying, I have, should not have a seat at the table. Then he continues, this grace was given me to have joy and have a good godly family and grow old <laughs> at peace. Although I am the less of the, I am the less than the least, this grace has been given me to live to laugh and to love. <laughs> this grace has been given me to volunteer at my church, to preach at a nice auditorium with big lights on me with my shirt untucked. <laughs> nope. This grace has been given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I was the worst of the worst. And do you know what God lets me do? He lets me get beaten with rods as I take the gospel to those who have never heard it. He allows me to get imprisoned by both Gentiles and Jews. He lets me get shipwrecked, snake-bitten. He lets me get drug outside cities and stoned with large rocks as I get the grace, the opportunity to make disciples. This is a man who is very, very aware of how undeserving he is of Jesus' grace. That he has done nothing to deserve it. That he was plucked from his own selfishness, his self-righteousness, his waywardness, his hate. 
He was plucked out of it just because Jesus saw him and chose him, and oh, by the grace of this Jesus, I get to proclaim him to the Gentiles and make disciples. Because I love him, I obey. And then Paul continues with a prayer for us to have the same experience. This is a a lengthier passage, but please don't tune out. Cling to these words. Let's read this. Paul continues, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, church, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people here at this church to just grasp, to just understand, to have some inkling of insight, to grasp how wide and just how long and how high and deep is this love of Christ. And to know this love, that doesn't make any sense. That you haven't deserved, that you haven't earned. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Real quick time out. Who else in Scripture was filled with the fullness of God? Paul says it was Jesus. That God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. So wait a second, Paul. Are you saying we get to be like Jesus? We get to have the fullness of God dwell in us as Jesus did? And what was it that Jesus did with the fullness of God? He made disciples. He multiplied. He established a new kingdom. And we have that fullness in us? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, who is able to let you understand his love, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout what? All generations forever and ever. Amen. That last slide, don't read that. Don't rush through that and think that's just a nice little salutation at the end of the passage. No, that is Paul saying, and we are the agents of his glory. The way he will be glorified is through what we do. Let us not just multiply church attendance, multiply church members, get more visitors and seats. Let us multiply his glory throughout generations that more people will know the boundless love of Jesus. So, why do we disciple? Not to avoid a consequence but because we have been so struck with an understanding that comes from him at how deeply we are loved by him. Because this is the truth. When you become passionate about someone, you take on their passions. I'll say that again. When you become passionate about someone, you take on their passions. Let me tell you two stories to depict this a little bit. About oh, 12 years ago, I was dating a girl. I was capable, it turns out, of having a female talk to me. <laughs> <clears throat> so I was dating this girl. 
long story short, we ended up deciding, like, yeah, hey, I think we're better friends. We didn't date that long. It, it, it wasn't very long. We were we made better friends than than a couple. And, and she is uh, a leader in the church now, and she's doing awesome stuff for the kingdom of God. I, I have a ton of respect for her. But while we were dating, we, uh, one day I needed some new shoes. I said, do you want to go with me to buy some new shoes? She said, sure. So I took her to a shoe store um, because I am a hopeless romantic. <laughs> and uh, so we went to the shoe store. And I'm looking at shoes that I think I would like and uh, this, this lady, she said, hey, you should buy these. And they were ugly. <laughs> they were very ugly shoes. And I knew the moment she said, you should buy these, I was in my mind, I was like, those are so ugly. And she said, you would look good in those. And I was like, somebody take my money. Let me get these shoes. She's like, you should buy these. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, 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 I'm going to buy those. You like them? I like them. So I bought the shoes. And I could tell that I did not look good in them. And I could tell from my friend's facial expressions that I did not look good in them. Um, and then, as I already said, we decided, hey, let's just be friends uh, and all of that. And those shoes, I, I might have worn them again to mow the yard but they were not a part of my wardrobe anymore. This relationship, as wonderful as she was, the relationship itself was not that deep, and so the passions weren't that deep, and the passions were easy to disregard because I didn't have this level of passion that allowed me to continuously take on her passions. Then, a few years later, I meet another lady who I have made reference to in every sermon I've preached at College Heights for the past few months. I promise, next time I preach, I, I, as a preacher in front of my family of Christ, I solemnly declare I will not tell a story about my wife next time I preach. (laughs) But right now I'm gonna do it again. Sorry, baby. A couple years later, uh, I meet Shaylee. And uh, I got another one. (laughs) Another girl talking to me is what I meant. Um, (laughs) So uh, I meet meet Shaylee, and we're dating, and it's going fairly well. And she says, hey, I've been trying to find an opportunity to tell you this. There's no good time to tell you this, but I need you to know. This is Shaylee talking. She says, I... I am going to adopt a baby in my lifetime. And I was like, you want to go shoe shopping or something? (laughs) Um, Let's let's just take it easy. I will be honest with you. I didn't see that in my future. I did not see adoption in my future. I'll be very honest with you. I didn't want to. I didn't want to adopt a baby. I was scared of it. I was scared of that concept. There was a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of preconceived notions I had about it. But I also knew I didn't want to leave this girl. I didn't totally have that passion, but I felt pretty passionate about her. We'll see what happens. One thing leads to the next. I buy a ring. I propose. We have a wedding day. I'm growing in passion for this lady, 
And this August, our little girl, Amaya, who we adopted from St. Louis, turned one. And so, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? But not because we adopted. Can I tell you something? Oh, my goodness. I didn't know what I was doing a lot of times. There were a lot of times I didn't know what to do next with the adoption. There were a lot of roadblocks we we ran into. And now as just a father of a daughter, there's a lot of things I don't know what I'm doing. And there's a lot of days that insecurity creeps in my heart. And I think, really, God, am I the one you really wanted for this little girl? But I'm passionate about that lady. And so her passions became my passions. And now we've adopted and we've multiplied our family. And with all my insecurities and my shortcomings, I'm just going to keep on moving forward in those passions. And that is what disciple-making is. Disciple-making is being just so passionate about Jesus. And he says, hey, just so you know, if you're with me, I'm going to be adopting a lot more people into this family. And you and I are going to get in that together, okay? And Jesus says, so we're going to get busy about that. And I say, okay, but I don't know if I want to do that. I don't, that scares me. I don't know if I'm the man for that. I don't know if I'm the woman for that. I don't have the talent, the skill, the education. I'm not sure. And Jesus goes, this is what we're going to do. And I say, well, I don't want to leave you, though. So, all right. And so we go and we reach out into people's lives that we don't know that well, that are very different than us, that look different than us, that makes us uncomfortable. We do things that we feel awkward about, but we do it because we're passionate about Jesus. So why should we want to disciple? Because we're passionate about Jesus. And if we love him, we obey his commands. If we love him, we go where he tells us to go. No, we aren't living to avoid a consequence. We are living to connect our hearts more fully to Jesus. So yes, it is a command, and I'll I'll close with this. It is a command from our Savior to make disciples. But it's a command like this. Which of you grandparents or parents have had a little kid on a basketball court and you've said, go, go, go? They don't need you to say that in order to go. Is it, is it technically an imperative, a command? Yes, but you're commanding them to do what they're already naturally headed uh, in the direction of doing. Which of you have looked at a friend and said, hey, tell them that funny story that you tell all the time. Is that a command? Yes, but is it from a place of relationship and expectation and excitement? Yes. My little girl, when Shaylee comes home from work, I'll look down and I'll say, tell mama what we did today. And Gwen will be like, we played with matches. And just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> and she'll tell her mama what we did today. And yes, it was a command, but not one that I had to dangle a consequence in front of her to get her to obey. It was a go, go. Now go and make disciples of all nations, go church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go multiply the glory of God for all generations. Let's go ahead and take some awkward steps. Let's go ahead and get real insecure. Let's go ahead and do some things that scare us, that make us uncomfortable, and let's multiply the love of Jesus. Dear, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the grace you have shown me that I do not deserve. I have a past, I have a history, And you have shown me grace to do the awkward, to do the uncomfortable, 
to do sometimes just the unpleasant. But oh, I would much rather be in the unpleasant with you than in the comfortable and in sin. Fill us with your spirit and your power and guide us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.